Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. And uh, we got halfway through our sermon last week. We're wrapping up the book of Revelation. But what we want to be able to do today is just um, look at what God's intent is for the end of all time. I love the fact, you can tell that the plan of God was not humanly devised. When, when men plan to rule the world and their goals and their objectives and their methods, we realize that it's been a very brutal history, hasn't it, for world domination. But when Jesus comes, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, as he commanded us to pray, say these words, kingdom of God come and will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're inviting Jesus to bring that peace on earth. I love the fact that as we're looking at today, the scripture verses, I just want to just interject something here. I didn't do it in the first service at the beginning, but I want you to know today that God loves nations. God loves nations. It actually says in the scriptures that he sets their times and he also sets their boundaries. God loves the nations and some people think it's a conflict of interest to love your nation and look for the kingdom of God. It's not a conflict of interest. See, the whole thing is this, is that God even loves nations because Jesus is the one who's to bring in that, that global peace that all mankind is looking for. In order to bring global peace, it requires a certain level of exercising of authority. Um, you have to use the, the, uh, a, a brutal means to get everybody to fall in line because there is a brokenness in humanity. So God actually loves that the world moves forward with this idea of nations because some nations then can choose to be righteous and some nations will choose to not be righteous. And so even at the founding of our nation, America, we have to realize of all the nations that are on the earth, there are only two that at their founding were dedicated to God. One was the nation of Israel, and the other one was the United States of America. And that our first president dedicated our nation to the Lord. What a foundation and a heritage that we have, and what a blessing that we have. As we're thinking about end times and Even the Lord talks about a seven years of trouble, a tribulation period that's coming to the earth. In the meantime, what is our role? Our role is to enter into the hope of God, to never despair. To know that even the God who at the end will exert an influence that will even set the course and direction of the earth is also the very same God that can hover over your life and set your course and direction, that he will be your protector. Now, I don't believe in the scriptures that there is anything left to be fulfilled in order for Christ to come back. I believe that we have seen the scriptures so fulfilled concerning the second coming of Christ, not just the prophecies, but also, if you would, the systems, the opportunity for such things as a one world economy, a one world religion, one world control. All of of the technology is there already for it to be implemented by someone who will rise up above the chaos 
I believe that there is a, a releasing of chaos in the earth and among the nations right now because then out of chaos, someone can come and exert a level of control. And the Bible has talked about one who is coming who will be not the Christ. The Christ means Messiah. That's not Jesus' last name. Jesus Christ it means Jesus Messiah or Jesus anointed one. But there will be an anti-Christ, an anti-anointed one who is coming to the earth. And he will try to exert a certain level of authority. And I'm going to tell you something. This antichrist, he has a global ambition. He wants a one world religion. He wants a one world government. He wants a one world purpose. He wants a uniformity in thought. It's a totalitarian way of ruling mankind. And either we find in the scriptures that you won't even be able to buy and sell or trade. You will not be able to participate in the economy unless you align in allegiance to him. Should you not align the, the prophet, um, well, the, the prophecy that was given to John, the apostle John, was that those who do not align with this antichrist Will, will be executed. And it's so specifically that it says that beheading will be a means by which it will, the world will be controlled because that is such a fearful and intimidating way in order to be able to control people. So that's, that, that's the struggle that's going on right now. A globalist movement, a one world government, a one world control, a one world health organization while at the same time then we're watching that God is saying that someday the nations will be brought before the Lord and some of them will be sheep nations and some will be goat nations. The goat nations will come into judgment. The sheep nations will enter into the privilege when Christ sets up his kingdom. So I want you to understand this, that there is coming a day where the greatest government the world has ever experienced will be exercised upon the earth, and it will be by under the rule of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ himself, the one who has proven himself to be so selfless for humanity. That's what we need. We need selfless leadership. We need someone who's truly a statesman, who will actually rise above the, the, the chaos of the world, the effects of the fall of mankind, human depravity, perversion, and brokenness, and that Jesus Christ is coming to establish his kingdom upon the earth. And when he establishes his kingdom, there will still be nations that are upon the earth. So that the Lord had promised even Abraham concerning the Jewish people. The book of Revelation talks about the nation of Israel and that concerning the, the Jewish people, that God will bless those who bless them and he will curse those who curse them. I am alarmed within the last week of the rhetoric, anti-Israel rhetoric that is going on in Washington, D.C. It's coming into our Congress and people are starting to take stands. If we, as a nation, and Pam and I are both um, congressional liaisons for Christians United for Israel, but is it just about um, honoring the promise that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? No, it's also about the preservation of our nation. As America will bless the nation of Israel, God will bless us. If we turn against the nation of Israel, we will invite the retribution that will come as a consequence to that. So thinking about this global idea, thinking about global leaderships and how far they went and the, how much control they had to exercise, let's think about what God says, Jesus, who will be the one single king raised up over the earth, who will be the global 
leader. He will inherit the nations. That when we look at him, it says it will be like this. It will be like a wedding. When you think about the fact that God's intention for humanity is a wedding, it's kind of astounding. That's why I think the concept wasn't created by men. It's divine in its very nature. Think about the story. The whole Bible, you have it sitting in front of you. What is it the story of? It's a story about a wedding from beginning to end. The Bible says that before God, it starts, it starts out with in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But then later on, the revelation of the scriptures teach us that if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you have been born again of the Spirit of God, you are part of the bride of Christ. That's what you are called. And the Bible says you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. God knew you, and he created you fearfully and wonderfully. That's why the devil now in our generation is trying to disfigure and dismember and cause a brokenness of identity, even concerning gender, because he doesn't want you to understand that you were loved by God, created by God, and it's a wonderful and amazing thing the way he made you. Your destiny will, will explode when you come into alignment with him, an eternal destiny. And God chose you, and he loved you before the foundation of the world. It also said this, that Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. So here we have the bride of Christ, the believers, the believing church. That's you if you've given your faith and hope and trust to the Lord Jesus Christ. You were the bride. Christ is the bridegroom. You were chosen before the foundation of the world, and Christ determined, I will pay the price in order to be married to her. So here's the story. We find out that Adam and Eve were created, the bride of Christ, but Adam and Eve were given a choice, whether to love God or not to love God, because God will not force love. So he came to mankind, made him in his own image. To be made in the image of God is the power to make choice and to love. And eventually, Adam and Eve chose that they would be their own God and not be connected to the Father who had a, bride for human, a, a bridegroom for humanity. So we find out, though, that Christ still loved us, even though... We were broken by Adam and Eve's fall. It's the picture of God the Father wanting a bride for his son, and his son said, I'm going to go to where the bride lives, and I will go and I will live among her people, and I will be betrothed to her so that she might be my wife. And Christ came to the earth. He was, direct, he was um, rejected by her family. And we find out that in that rejection on the night before he died, what did he do? He gave her a sign and a symbol of her covenant, like an engagement ring. We actually celebrated the engagement ring this morning. We drank the cup, we ate the bread, and Jesus said to the bride, represented by the 12 apostles in the upper room, he said to them, I'm giving you bread and I'm giving you a cup. And he said this to all of them, I want you to eat this bread in remembrance of me. Why? Because he knew it was going to be the longest engagement in the history of mankind, 2,000 years so far. I want you to eat this bread and I want you to drink this cup until I drink it together with you in the kingdom. And so we realize that he gave to his Christ, gave to his bride, his followers, a covenant, an engagement ring, and we celebrate it every time we get together. It's the communion meal. Well, then Christ then had to prove his love. He proved his love for the bride. 
He proved it so, the demonstration was so great that he died a brutal death in order to save her. He died a death upon the cross that the Bible says that when the father saw that he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that the father gave to the bridegroom his son, a name that is above every other name. Jesus left that name for us so that while he's taken away, we can ask the Father for anything in his name, and it will be done for us. So the Father gave us a symbol, an engagement ring of the covenant meal, and then he also left behind the name so that we could have access to the Father. And so then the Son died. He was buried in the ground. He rose again, and then he ascended back to his home. Bridegroom leaves his father, goes to the bride's home, He's rejected by her family, but he loves her to the point of death. He leaves her an engagement ring, and he gives, he gives her the family name, and he ascends to the Father. Now we get to the book of Revelation. At the end, when God wraps up everything, we read about something called, we looked at it last week, the marriage supper of the Lamb. When those who gave their lives to Jesus Christ, will enter into the fullness of the marriage covenant with the bridegroom. Now, we understand this. It'll be a consummation of sorts. Now, don't get bothered that I would say that because we will have received heavenly bodies. It will not be a physical consummation, but it will be, it will exceed that on every level. The, the, all the longings and the desires of our hearts will be met in the moment of our unity with Jesus. And we look upon him and we will realize that everything, even in this world that we sought through inappropriate and kingdom illegal means to try to find fulfillment in one moment will be fulfilled in that relationship with Jesus Christ. It will be amazing. But then we looked a little bit further last week. When they got married, then something happened. The bridegroom, Jesus, says to the bride, Now we're going on our honeymoon. And the bridegroom says, we're going back to your homeland. We're going back to where you came from. So this is the picture of the rapture of the church. Before a seven years of tribulation coming to the earth, those, the First Thessalonians chapter 4 says that those who have died in Christ means that all those for the last 2,000 years who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they will rise first. There'll be a shout, voice of an archangel, a trumpet of God, the dead in Christ that arise, will arise first. Then those who believe in Jesus when the trumpet sounds will be caught up together with those who died in Christ, and we will be caught up into the Lord's house, and that's where the wedding is going to happen. But then seven years of trouble comes. Church is taken up to heaven. Seven years of trouble where God is going to judge the nations and the rebellion of the earth. And then he, as the bridegroom, as a white-horsed rider, will come with his bride that the Bible says they will be on white horses as well, and they will be wearing Though, though the king, the bridegroom, is wearing a white robe, but it's been drenched in blood, 
And behind him, though, will be an army of white horse riders, and they are going to be wearing the wedding garb. It is the believers, the church coming back with the bridegroom to receive the inheritance. So help me, let me, there's so many pictures, and I hope I'm not losing you in all of this, but do you remember when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth? Jesus is saying this, if you're willing to embrace my name, because he says, if they, if they, um, what, the way they treated me is the way they're going to treat you. If you're willing to humble yourself and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you'll inherit the earth. We will come back with him. So Christ is going to come back on a white horse with a white robe dipped in blood, but behind him is white horse riders, the believers in Jesus Christ who've been resurrected, and they will be wearing the wedding robes, the clean white linens that were described at the wedding. And then Christ is going to come back to the earth and he's going to demonstrate to all humanity that they will begin to understand that Jesus is saying, I am who I said I am. I am the resurrection and the life, King of kings and Lord of lords. And all the nations will see this one who first came on a donkey, riding on a donkey to fulfill the prophecy, is now riding on a white horse to bring mankind, those who Jesus loved, into their fullness and into their glory. Now, Christ will come and set up his kingdom in the book of Revelation, we learn, for 1,000 years. So you, believer, understand. You say, personally, what's my destiny, Jim, in the future? Now you have given your heart to the Lord. You can't see the one you love, but you know he's returning for you. You've given your heart to him, but you know this, that whether you die or whether you're alive when Jesus Christ comes, you will be caught up together to be with the Lord. You will come back then after a wedding, a, a, a deep union with Jesus Christ. You will come back with him, and then you will reign with Christ on the earth for 1,000 years. It's described throughout the scriptures, 1,000 years. And when you think about the 1,000 years, you understand this, that Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, will rule from Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem that's established. But we also understand this, that the bride of Christ who sits next to the King, you're the bride of Christ, will rule and reign with him. From every time you fulfill Jesus' prayer, he said, pray this way. Kingdom of God come and will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're praying for the thousand-year reign of Christ to come to the earth. I had the privilege years ago of being invited to, an, to one of the Aspen Institute seminars. I, they, they told me I'm the only person ever from the faith community invited. It was a miracle how it happened. It happened at the last minute. But God had taken me up there a year before and allowed me to walk the property. And I prayed that God would reveal himself here. And a year later, out of nowhere, I got invited. It makes no sense, except there's a God. And so when I was there, I listened to all these discussions of leaders from our nation. And I listened to their talking about, oh, we need health care for everybody, and we need, we need everybody to have the same basic income, and we need um, to have all the nations to be at peace, and we need to feed everybody on the earth. And as I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, there's nothing that I would disagree with in all of this. This is a longing for the kingdom of God. The humanity longs so that, not the tyrants, but they long that everybody has food, everybody has health care, 
everybody has purpose, right? No one's oppressing each other and wars are stopped. The only problem is they got together thinking that a man could bring this in, but man is the problem. Only God can bring this in. Only Jesus can bring that kingdom in. Your longing today is for the kingdom of God. All the world is waiting. Jesus actually, I mean, I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8 that all of creation is groaning for the full redemption, the full purpose of mankind to be revealed upon the earth. This is what the scriptures are talking about from the very beginning. It just never ceases to amaze me how wonderful Jesus is and how complete he is in his plan. Listen, you might say to me, but Jesus, when he walked this earth, can be compared to an enlightened individual like Muhammad or an enlightened individual like Buddha or someone else that you could name. But I'm telling you, none of them even can begin to compare in the prophecies, not about just when they walked the earth, but the future culmination of all things. You can look high and low through every religion, every philosophy, and every idea, and I dare you to look into them because you will find out that Jesus checks all the boxes concerning mankind's questions and mankind's needs. So in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, this is what John saw in his revelation, the white horse rider. Let's read that together, Revelation 19, 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head many crowns. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name, this name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in midheaven, come and assemble for the great feast of God. So that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, both free and slaves and small and great. Now, I want you to think about the fact that within one chapter of the book of Revelation, it describes two feasts. And one feast is the feast that those who give their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will enter into that feast. It's called the marriage of supper of the Lamb. And you and I will go there and we will have this great meal with Jesus. But there's another big meal that happens as well. That's when Jesus comes and he brings, he tramples out the fierceness of the wrath of God upon humanity. And if you're at that feast, you don't go to eat dinner. You end up being dinner. <laughs> That's exactly what this is describing, that God is going to actually bring a very quick and speedy judgment upon the earth. As we're thinking about this, we think about how Jesus, when he gave us the engagement ring of the meal that we celebrated, and he said, do this until I come. He also said, and I'll not drink of this cup until I drink it together with you in my kingdom, that we're going to drink the cup at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we realize that the full engagement now is ending up with this marriage. 
Then when the bride comes with Christ, when he's riding on his white horse, she is dressed in the white linens of the wedding feast yet, and yet it says concerning Christ that his robe is dipped in blood. Now, if you were to ask a lot of people, you would say, why does Christ come at the end and his robe is dipped in blood? The first inclination is to think, well, it's obvious he's dipped in his own blood. But that's not the case. See, at the beginning, when the church in the first few chapters of Revelation, and God was prophesying concerning the church. Then you saw the lamb that had been slaughtered, the lamb that was covered with his own blood. That's how Christ deals with us right now. That the, our message right now is the blood of Christ that covers our sins so that we can be saved. That's our message, and it's available to all. But the Lord here is letting us know there is coming a day when Christ will be wearing a robe, and it will be covered with blood, but it will not be his own blood. And the prophecies are very specific about this. When we think about it, we can't help but think about the book of Isaiah, chapter 63. Listen to this. Hundreds of years before John saw the Revelation book, Isaiah 63, 1 to 6. Who is this who comes from Edom? Who is Edom? Edom was an enemy against Israel. That when Israel was taken over by King Nebuchadnezzar and took them out of Jerusalem, that he aligned with Nebuchadnezzar and killed many of the Jews. I'm telling you, their judgment is yet to come. God will not be mocked. So they came against the Lord, you know, we're talking about 2,500 years ago when God still is saying there is coming someone who will visit Edom that, once, that, that came against God's people, the Jews. He says, who is this one who comes from Edom with garments of glowing colors? He comes from Basra. Basra means grape gathering. So here, who is this one whose robes are covered with the stains of the grape gathering? This one who was majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, the one who speaks in righteousness. Here we see the deity of Christ, because when Christ comes, God is saying, this is me, the one that you're seeing, and he's coming mighty to save. So here, Isaiah says, why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the wine trough alone. From the peoples there was no one with me. I also trod them in my anger and, my, and trampled them in my wrath. And their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments and I stained my clothes. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I was astonished, and there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought salvation to me, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger and made them drunk with my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. I want us to understand this, that God is saying that when Christ comes, that his robes will be marked with, with the outpouring of judgment, the death of humanity. You say, why would God do this? This is a picture of Jesus I'm not comfortable with. But what we have to understand is there's coming a day when the church will be caught out and we will be taken into heaven. And then there will be some during seven years of tribulation on the earth where they will be, they will be tested and an antichrist will rise up and he'll ask them to align with them. And if you do not align, but you believe the prophecies, there'll be some who say, no, wait a minute. We shouldn't follow this antichrist. 
Christ. He's not who he says he is. I know the prophecies Jesus had predicted these days will come. The apostle Paul, John and Paul both predicted that these days will come. And by not taking the mark of the beast in order to enter into the economy, the Bible says that they will be, they'll, they'll all experience death. The earth is going to get to the point where there's going to be an, an opportunity for God to gather all the nations that are in rebellion against him to the nation of Israel. And in that place, the Lord says he will come and there he will, they will stamp out the winepress of the wrath of God. When the nations that come against God's people, the Jews, and the covenant that God made with them, the judgment of Christ will come with the bride and he will stamp out. There will actually be a great war of God against all rebellion upon the earth and Christ will be stained. Now, the bride will not. If you're saying to me, Pastor Jim, I don't, after I'm gone from this place, I have no stomach for war. Well, there, you're not gonna have to have a stomach for war. Jesus said in the book or the prophecy concerning Jesus in Isaiah 63 says, Jesus says, no one was able to do this with me. Why? Because all judgment, Jesus said, the Father gave to him. So that Jesus alone is going to be the one who's going to conquer the nations. Now it won't be by him personally trampling, trampling on them. But the Bible says a judgment is going to come to the earth that will be with great hailstone and fire and an earthquake. So the reason why we're not comfortable with this is because we're used to the Jesus according to um, Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 where it says that the Messiah will come and he'll ride on the donkey. He'll come with meekness because the meek inherit the earth. And he'll ride on that donkey and he will give his life for us. And there he will be stained with his own blood. But near, now we have Jesus. We have to see both sides of him. He will not be riding on a donkey, but on a great white horse. And he will be executing the judgment of God against the rebellion of humanity that began with Adam and Eve. Jesus, the prophecy concerning Jesus in Isaiah chapter 63 said he did it alone. And this is what it reminds us of. There are two things that Jesus had to do alone. Two things. First thing that he did alone was he died on the cross for the sins of all mankind. We say to ourselves, I would like to think that if I was one of the apostles, I would have stuck with him and I would have been with him right to the very end. I would have stood with him so much that I'd have been on one of the crosses on one of the sides of him. But no, see, Jesus went to a place of, of personal bearing the sins of the world. I couldn't even go with him. I shouldn't go with him because Jesus was a perfect and pure and holy sacrifice for my sins. And Christ went to the cross alone. But the Bible describes one other thing that he will do alone. And that's when he brings a judgment upon the earth and when God executes his final judgment. Can I just take a, a little rabbit trail here for a moment and I want you to understand how secure you are in Jesus Christ and why it's so important and um, beneficial, that's, a, that's an understatement, for all of us to give our lives to him. I want you to know that once you place your faith in Jesus Christ, all the punishment that you and I deserved was placed upon him. It wasn't placed, you know, this whole idea of purgatory, it's not biblical. And there is no way that you can bear the punishment for your own sins. They were all placed upon the cross. The idea that I'll, I'll hear people say, I feel as though I, 
I'm getting judged. I made some really bad decisions, and now God's judging me for what I've done. I want you to know that you have to come to an understanding that the Bible says that perfect love through Jesus Christ has cast out all fear and fear of judgment. God cannot punish you for something that you did wrong because he placed that punishment on Jesus. If he were to come then and punish you, it would be a double jeopardy situation. He would be placing upon you something that he had already placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He cannot punish you. Now the Lord can discipline us in order to get us right back on the same track, but he cannot punish you. But not only can he not punish you in this life, he cannot punish you when there's a punishment and a judgment coming to the earth. When you and I, someday, do we understand? I try to remind myself of this. We'll be riding as a great army before the Lord, and we'll all have our eyes on Jesus, who's riding out ahead. He has come to bring the judgment of the Father to trample out the winepress of the Lord. And we're going to be watching it, and we're going to look, and we're going to say, in the same way I couldn't have shed any blood for my sins. All the blood was on Jesus. In the same way, when a judgment comes to the earth, we are going to watch Jesus wrapping up the rebellion, and all the blood will be on him again. And we will be maintained in these perfectly white robes. It's such a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us, past and present and future. It's all been taken care of for us, and you just say to me, yeah, I'm such a simple person. I'm a, I'm a simple man, a simple woman. How can it be? And that's when we ask those questions where the grace of God and his unmerited favor towards us just overwhelms our spirit. When we understand all that he's done for us. I can't help but think the Battle Hymn of the Republic, and I talked about it in my weekly um, devotionals, written during the Civil War. I love the fact that we live in a nation that has a hymn. Did you ever think about that? The Battle Hymn of the Republic says this, My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed his fateful lightning with his terrible swift sword, his truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah, his truth is marching on. That song was sung in our nation during the Civil War when our nation was aware of the fact that it is important and incumbent upon every nation to be a righteous nation and to fear the Lord. That every nation has a day of reckon reckoning where we will give an account. Jesus even talked about it when he said, however you treated my brothers and sisters will be how I will judge you. And who were his brothers and sisters? His Jewish brothers and sisters in Israel. There is a judgment coming upon every nation. And see, this is why I, I'm, I know I'm getting off track a little bit here, but I'm not. We've been given a nation and we are fighting and contending for something that until the coming of Christ, we have to stand for righteousness, we have to stand for faith, we have to stand for morality, we have to stand for justice and truth. 
and the fear of the Lord. The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So the book of Revelation is not an invitation for us to sit back and just say, oh, Jesus, please come and get us out of here. It's not that at all. It's an actually an invitation. Like at the Civil War, they said, let us be a righteous nation because my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage. So that one of the lines during us hymn, the hymn that was written during the Civil War was um, in the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. It, the battle hymn of the republic is calling our nation to rise above the tyranny of slavery and as Christ died for our freedom, let us die for the freedom of the slaves that are in the United States of America. In other words, let us live for those things that Christ lives for. Let us die for those things that Christ would die for. It's so important. The cause is great. The cause is eternal, but it's also in the here and now. And then we find out that as we read in Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, that Christ came with the, with the fire in his eyes and he, he gathered all the nations to Israel and there in that one locale, he, he renders the judgment of God and stops that rebellion. But then in verse 20, Revelation 19, 20, and then the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet. So what happens during this great battle on the earth when all the nations come against Israel? The battle of Armageddon. If you've gone to Israel with Pam and I, we've stood at the valley of Megiddo where the battle of Armageddon will be. And there it says that when the Lord conquers the nations that are in rebellion, that, that the beast, the Antichrist, was seized, and the false prophet who performed signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So here we find out just... Just take a minute here to wrap up. There's an antichrist that's coming. He's going to rise to seven years of dominion. He'll gather the nations against the nation of Israel. Satan hates Israel because there's a promise of God over them. If he can get one promise defeated, he wins. So he gathers the nations against Israel. Christ comes. He conquers those who want to conquer Israel. And God grabs the Antichrist and the false prophet, and he casts them into the lake of fire. This is not Hades. This is not hell. This is a place that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So the Antichrist and the false prophet are taken, and they're cast into the lake of fire. But Satan is not yet cast into the lake of fire, according to this. But then the rest, it says, of the nations that were on the earth were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with, the, with their flesh. Then, he says, I saw an angel come down from heaven. Now, listen, not to demean this angel, and if he's listening, it's not personal, but he's not a great angel, because it would describe, it would say, they're a great angel. It wasn't Michael. It wasn't Gabriel. This is just an angel with a key to the abyss. The abyss 
oh, I better not go there now. It's described in the story of Lazarus and the rich man, the great gap in, in the underworld, that we find out that this angel comes down from heaven and he has the key to the abyss and he grabs Satan, the dragon, and he casts him into the abyss for a thousand years. When Satan is cast into the abyss for a thousand years, we have to understand this. The engine that drives humanity, that tempts humanity to do the wrong things, will suddenly be bound. And Christ will come with his church to rule and reign upon the earth for a thousand years. The longing of humanity. Now, I want you to understand this. There'll still be humans. There'll still be humans here. It'll be like Adam and Eve. They lived in a perfect place called paradise. And yet Satan came and tempted Eve and she fell. Well, that's not going to happen again. We will live. God will create this beautiful kingdom upon the earth. Christ will rule and reign over it. But the engine that provokes mankind to do wrong, he will be bound for a thousand years. Now, it doesn't mean that people still won't be tempted to do some of the wrong things. That's why it says when Christ comes to rule for a thousand years, he will rule with a rod of iron. In other words, he's going to make sure that no one is doing the things that mankind has done against each other since the beginning of time. But the engine, Satan, the provoker, the tempter, the accuser of the brethren will be bound for a thousand years. And we will rule and reign with Christ. Now, watch the videos during the week. There's some amazing things that happen. There's, the Bible says that the increase of the light will be sevenfold upon the earth. The earth will have neither day nor night. It, they'll have need of the sun or the moon. It doesn't say there'll be no sun or moon. It'll have no need of it. Why? Because the glory of Christ shining from Jerusalem will be a light that fills the earth, but also it will increase the light sevenfold, the light of Christ. It's the glory of God. We can't fully understand it, but it will be a healing to all the nations. It'll be a healing to all plant life. It'll be a healing to, to all of animal life. The Bible says then the lion will lie down or the wolf will lie down with the lamb. A child will play on an adder's, a, a snake's den, they will play. Why? Because there will be a healing. The Bible talks that there'll be a river that flows from the throne of God. And on both sides of the river will be trees planted. And the leaves of those trees will be for the healing of the nations. That God will create on this earth, in the animal realm, in the areas of light, in the areas of, of even it describes a nation of Israel that is now a desert for the most part. But that God is going to provide it with an early and a latter rain. And it'll be a land flowing with milk and honey. When I lived in Israel for a year and a half in, in 86, uh, I, I, I had a kibbutz friend, and he was in charge of irrigation of all the fields and the drip irrigation. And I remember once he sat down with me, and, he's, and we, I was from Florida. He says, what, you mean it like it rains every day? I'm like, yeah. Like, so it just rains? Yeah. Because you have to understand, for, for four months they have rain, and then it doesn't rain for the rest of the year. So amazing to him but there's going to come a healing to the whole earth. It's something that mankind can look forward to, and it's something that gives us inspiration to line up 
with Jesus Christ. So Satan, I saw an angel come down from heaven holding the keys of the abyss and a great chain in his hand and he took hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years and he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Now, so let's wrap this up here going to be a thousand years of a peaceful reign of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes back to the earth, there'll still be some people living here. During the thousand years, they're going to be having children. Children will be born. As a matter of fact, the Bible describes this time that if someone dies at a hundred years old during the thousand year reign of Christ, he'll be considered, if he were to die at a hundred years, he'll be considered a baby. People will be, be being born. People will be ruling and reign with Christ. And during that time, though, Satan is being bound, and then God's going to release him one more time. You're like, why on earth, God, would you do such a thing? Because God has determined that for the history of the entire earth and of humanity, everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ will be given a choice, a very real choice. Believe in him or be given over to the tempter. Satan has to be released after the thousand years one more time so that those who were born during the thousand year um, reign of Christ will be given an opportunity to choose and when he is released. So I believe that while we're here on the earth ruling and reigning with Christ, we're going to be telling people. They'll be coming to us and saying, hey, you're one of the people who walked the earth when the devil was free. What was it like? And we'll tell them stories and we'll say, hey, you need to know something. It's going to be released for a moment one more time. And trust me, you don't want to give in to him. That will be the message. You know, do you ever have something like, some of you are saying, I, I wish I had gotten to Italy. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. Or I wish I had seen Africa or Asia. Or maybe you, your dream was to live in the Roaring Fork Valley. That's so possible. But the thing is this, is that the Bible says there's eternity in your hearts. Did you know the Bible says eternity is in your heart do you know that some of those longings that you have might not be fulfilled in this life and yet they're going to be fulfilled in the kingdom of God that with your eyes you'll think oh I had a bucket list and I kicked the bucket and I didn't get everything on the list and the Lord is going to say oh no oh no 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 your bucket list has another thousand years yet to be fulfilled the promise of the Lord He'll be released for just a moment. They'll be tempted one more time to gather against the nation of Israel. And then God, we'll see it next week. God's going to be allow there to be one more resurrection of the people who were killed during the tribulation period. And to those who died during the millennial reign of Christ, there'll be a resurrection of the righteous. But when Satan is released after a thousand years, he'll tempt the people one more time to come up against the promises of God and to come against the people of God. And then once and for all, the final dealing of all unrighteousness and wickedness, it will be completed. I get asked all the time, if there's a God, why would he allow the world to be the way it is? And the truth is this, he doesn't want it to be the way it is either. And it won't always be that way. But in the meantime, he created, the Bible says, the earth was made for man. Heavens belong to the Lord. 
God has given to each and every one of us an opportunity to place our faith in Jesus Christ. He's given us a choice. Love without a choice is not love at all. Forced love, we don't even have a concept of that. God invites us to come and love him. It's gonna be that way from the very beginning until the very last moment. Everyone who comes into the fullness of Christ will be those who chose to follow Jesus Christ and to make him their Lord and Savior. So I wanna invite everybody that's here today to understand everything necessary for eternal life has been bought and paid for at the cross. The lamb came and shed his blood for our sins. And if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, there it is declared over you that there is no punishment or judgment that can come against you either now or for all eternity. How good is Jesus? How amazing is Jesus in all of this? So I want to invite you today, if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, let today be your day of salvation. Oh no, it's not just like you're going to decide to change your worldview. No, Jesus said you will be born again of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will come and make your spirit that is right now dead in sin. He'll make it alive to God. You will sense the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, and the presence of the Lord in your life. I want to invite you today, man, don't worry about what's going on in the world today. Place your faith in Jesus. He'll be an anchor. He'll be a safe place. You'll love him more than you love anything else in this world. And that's the truth. Can we all just stand up this, this morning before I close in, in prayer? I want to give an opportunity. It's, it's not about me. I'm made of dust. I came from dust and to dust I will return. It's not about going into a building because God does not dwell in houses made with hands. God dwells in people. His temple is people. If you've never met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can come to him and receive a forgiveness that will last for all eternity. The Lord said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. You say to me, wait a minute, if I just confess that he's my Lord and Savior, I'll be saved? And you just say, how, how could that be? It's too easy. No, it's just because Jesus did it all. He did all the work. There's nothing left to be done for you and I to be saved. If you want to give your heart to Jesus today, I'm going to give you an opportunity. And I'm just going to ask you to do two things. It's not a formula. It's, it's just I, I want to lead you to give your heart to the Lord. If you want to be included in the closing prayer of giving your heart to the Lord, I'm just going to invite you to lift up your hand and, and just say, Pastor Jim, I'm praying the prayer today to give my heart to Jesus. And then if you lift your hand, I'm going to invite you to come forward here in the front. And it'll be in front of the church. You won't have to do anything or say anything, but I'm going to invite you to come forward because Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, so this is just between individuals and the Lord. If you're here and you need Jesus, would you lift up your hand? Just put it up so I can see it. Just raise your hand and just say, today's my day of salvation. I want to know without a doubt that I'm a child of God. Is there anyone? Lift your hand up so I can see it. 
If it's oh, right there, okay. God bless you. Is there anyone else will join this one? Just say, right there in the back. All right, good. God bless you. Is there anyone else? You just say, I want to give my heart to Jesus today. I want to know that my eternity is secure. For these two, raise their hands. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, God in heaven, thank you for loving me so much. Even before you made the world, you knew me and loved me. Jesus, I believe you came and you died for my sins. I invite you into my heart. From this day on, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. Lord Jesus, as you live in me, I will live for you. Give me your Holy Spirit. Empower me and equip me to live for you. I place my future and my destiny and my eternity in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Those who raise their hands, will you come forward? Come on up here. Michael, come on up as well. Tell me your name again. Nancy. Nancy. We have someone else, Nancy, in the back that's going to join us. Michael came forward a few weeks ago, right? Yeah. Hi. What's your name? Emmy. Emmy. All right. Good. God bless you. Would you stretch your hands towards these two? Thank you. I thank you, Lord God, that even this day of salvation was determined like you chose the day of their birth. And Father, we just thank you for these two who made a public confession of Jesus Christ being their Lord and Savior. And Father, we receive them into the family of the Lord. I pray, oh God, that you would come and seal this decision in their hearts. Seal them with the Holy Spirit and the promise of God. I pray, Father, that you would give them the joy of the kingdom and the peace of God. Let it flood over their hearts and over their souls, God. Let them know, Lord, deep inside their souls that the reconciliation with God has happened for them. I pray, Lord God, let their future, their purpose, their calling, let it come forth, oh God. I pray, Lord, that their lives would produce much fruit, and Lord, that their light would shine brightly in this world. Help them to stand strong, Lord, and let them live for you, God, all the days of their life. We thank you for them, Lord, and we bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. Can I give you a hug? Good. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you too. Thank you. God is good, isn't he? Still saving, right? Amen. Amen. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for our opportunity to be here today. Bless this whole day. Let us be an amazing family at 4 o'clock, Lord. And I pray, Father, just joy on this property all day in peace. Bless everyone who came here today. Let them leave with an awareness of your presence. Bless their paths and their steps, Father. Bless their lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're here today and you have a need for anything, please come forward. Our elders are here in the front to pray for you. Whatever your need is, they want to pray with you. God bless you all. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. 
If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.